0: This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as always by David Hughes. Dave, how's things, mate?
0: Yeah, very good. Thank you, mate. I'm Enjoying being fully back into the football now. Now it's good to have it back. Yeah, and during Liverpool back to winning ways as well, two wins
1: out of two. Um, We weren't as spot on this week when it comes to predictions, but we weren't far off. Uh, I think you said 3-1, was it Dave, 4-1? 3-1, I think it was, yeah, one of the two. Yeah, and I think I said 3-0. Obviously Liverpool ended up winning 2-0 against Burnley, six points out of six, so things are going well. Shakiri's left the club, which we will speak about. But we're going to speak about Burnley and we're going to look ahead to what promises to be a high-profile clash against Chelsea this weekend. So, yeah, plenty to get through. Um, but we'll start off with the Burnley game, which was, well, I think as, as it's been reported, it was a bit of a battle more than anything, wasn't it? But, um, yeah, Liverpool come out, there, come out the other end with three points today, which is the main thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot was made about that, that battle aspect of it. Um, which we may touch on. Obviously, things a little bit more lenient in the Premier League at the moment. But you know, purely from the result side of things and performance, we probably should add because we talked a lot about the performance at Norwich um, and how the um, you know you could make a case that maybe the scoreline wasn't as reflective as as how the game panned out in that one. But certainly against Burnley, you know, it was, it was a, a dominant display worthy of the. Of the scoreline in the end Um, and one that, you know, from a Liverpool perspective, you've got to be really happy with because Burnley's obviously been a tricky fixture in the past, hasn't it? But, you know, it wasn't really that tricky Uh, on Saturday. thought Liverpool did, did really well against a, a difficult challenge in Burnley and all in all, very, very good results. Yeah. I mean, for me, it went pretty much as I expected.
1: Um, that, that course of the match, the, the shock counts on both sides of the game, which we'll get to, the way in which Burnley decides to cause Liverpool problems. I think Burnley started quite quite well, actually. Um, They were clearly trying to get in behind Liverpool's last line quite quite often with little curved early crosses and things like that. Um, And it probably would have caused Liverpool more problems last season, given the centre-back crisis. But I think generally Liverpool grew into the game. I think Sean Dyson said, himself said in the second half... For about a 20-25 minute spell, Liverpool started playing at Liverpool and Brandy couldn't really get a sniff. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good performance. I think it was for me probably a better performance than the Norwich game. And I think that's captured in the numbers and I think that's generally what you want to see. You want to see gradual progression, you wanna see this you know, this concept of momentum gradually picked up as the as the season progresses. Um so yeah, I think Liverpool are generally moving in the right direction. It's it's good to get two wins under your belt. You can't get left behind at the start. Liverpool certainly aren't. Um, but in terms of numbers, twenty eight shots for Liverpool against Burnley's nine. Um, expected goals of two point nine for Liverpool and just zero point seven faced. So that's probably a three one win, Dave. You know, really when you when you're looking at your shots earlier in the week, uh, last week. And sixty three percent of the ball, Um, so you know that's that's a pretty dominant display. And if if, if you if you post those performance numbers every week, very rarely you're going to lose, and probably very rarely you're going to draw as well. You're probably going to win most games there. And you know Liverpool's twenty eight shots there, Dave. That's actually more than Liverpool posted in any Premier League game last season. Liverpool's high last season was twenty seven. Funnily enough, against Burnley um, at Anfield. Big difference we lost that game 1 0.
0: Yeah, well, I guess that shows it, in some ways, it's probably a consequence of the opposition you're facing. Uh, you know, the way Burnley play, happy to kind of sit in a little bit more, adopt those tactics where they'll, they'll, happy for the football to be played in their half instead of Liverpool's, uh, which might inevitably lead to more, uh, more chances. But I don't know if you've got it there, Josh. It would be interesting to compare the XG numbers between the two games um, last season. I'd be surprised if it was high as that. Um, you know, Liverpool did a better job. I don't know whether the numbers will back us up, but certainly on the eye test, at least they did a better job of creating more clear quality chances in this game than they did in that game. There's probably a little bit more uh, elements of desperation, I think, in that game last season. Right. yeah so the the expected goals in that game was Liverpool 2.3 um
1: compared to this time around which I've just said was 2.9. 2.9. yeah so um and specifically in defense there's a bit of a difference Dave I've just mentioned there that in defense Liverpool allowed 0.7 XG this time around last time
0: it was exactly double on 1.4 so I suppose you're leaving a little bit more open to the elements of chance there last time yeah, so what you probably, you know, if we try and just translate that into a scoreline, that's 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 more closer to maybe, I know it ended up in a defeat on the day, but just based on quality chances created, that's a lot closer really, isn't it? Uh, you know, more likely to maybe have been a draw. Uh, but this time, you know, it was a, a well-deserved Liverpool victory um, and it, it was just a, a much different game to the one earlier in the year. But then... I suppose we shouldn't be surprised, you know. Key players back, uh, fans back, which obviously played its part, no doubt about it. I think Henderson spoke about it himself post match, saying that uh, it was a big factor in terms of giving giving the players a lift. Um, and yeah, it's just it, it's really hard to summarise more than just saying it was a, for, you know, purely from a result and performance point of view, it was it was one that you can be pleased with.
1: Yeah, I think it, I think it's interesting as well when you look at at, at those two games when we last faced Burnley in Anfield, when we faced Burnley this time around, obviously plenty of dynamics and Liverpool were were the same, were were unchanged. But just the the changes in personnel can offer such a difference, particularly in both boxes. basically. Like when Liverpool got beat by Burnley 1-0, Diogo Jota wasn't in the side, Um, Divock Origi actually started that game. Um, And then obviously in defence... You had Fabinho and Joel Matip, who might have came off injured. Um, no, he didn't, actually. But you had Fabinho and Joel Matip in defence there, who, you know, Fabinho certainly is not a centre-back. We know that. Um, I think this time around, Liverpool just felt a lot more practical in the way they executed their game. They felt a lot more assured in defence. Uh, obviously, Van Dijk helps a lot. And then up front, just a bit more potent, even though we probably could have scored more than the two goals. I remember saying last season, someone, you know, we did a QA and someone asked, What's the biggest thing Liverpool might have learnt this season? And from our perspectives, looking at it, one of the things I said was just no matter what you do really in, in the middle portion of the pitch, which is which takes up like seventy percent of the of the field or whatever. When it comes to securing results it kind of all that really matters is what happens in both boxes really um and liverpool i think kind of proved that a little bit over the over the weekend you know jota taking chances and uh Mane back to his usual self hopefully salah we know is an output since he wins so much in this game but he's got that to his game and at the opposite end I thought alisson was spot on i think he's been spot on throughout the season so far even though we're only two games in and van dyke obviously makes a massive difference
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Alison has I, I, I been really good. Actually, started really, uh, really well. You know, I've been impressed with him so far because um, he's just kind of being tested in, and not not necessarily excessively tested, but just on occasions he's faced a few chances that you know uh, seemed to be going in last season. You know, when he had like when, when he wasn't available when when i say Adrian was in. And goals change games. You know, it's it's an old cliche. What they do, and you know, if you if you concede one at Norwich, that could have changed the outcome. Conceded one against Burnley, say from um, you know the, where Elliot gets dispossessed in his own half, and then it goes. I think McNeil has the shot in the end, and it looks a routine save on paper. But as I said, when the, you know when they go in, it can change the, the almost the complexion of the game. So you know, he has started really well, uh, being really impressed with him.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's well too early to be looking at this sort of thing that I'm going to mention now. But in terms of overperformance and underperformance for a goalkeeper, uh, Allison so far is is top of that for the Premier League in terms of saving above expectation. Um, you know, he's faced he's faced seven shots on targets, saved all of them, um, and I think some of them as well have been particularly not a game, quite close to goal, so. Yeah, when a keeper starts over-performing, he's, he's performing to an above-average level when it comes to saving shots. Alisson's doing that at the minute. But as I said, well too early to be looking at that. We can look at that as the season goes on. But it's it's a good sign, you know.
0: Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. I wanted
1: to flag players as we go a little bit deeper into this game. and I'm really glad, Dave, that we've been on the the Harvey Elliott train for quite a while I like to think that we flagged him pretty early um I remember talking about his numbers last season when he was in the championship just what he was doing I think I you know when we did our summer recruitment thing a few months back I remember saying that I I would seriously consider keeping him around the squad this season and, and that sort of thing and I'm really happy to see that that's kind of being justified really because he, he he started which I was almost a bit I was surprised that he started played the full 90 which I was additionally surprised by because usually when these players come in they'll maybe get an hour and then they'll come off the field but I thought he was I thought he was outstanding You wouldn't have thought that he was an 18 year old kid making his, his premier league debut around field he just blended in perfectly and yeah I think it's um I just found it really, really nice to see. Considering we we
0: kind of praised them and and, and flagged them quite a while back. Yeah, and you know what? I wouldn't even say just blended in. I said I'd I'd argue that he's he's positively kind of changed the um, complexion of that right side. You know, if you if you look at it and you think, well, we we saw it really, didn't we? You've got you know last year it was it was. Thiago predominantly playing in that kind of right side, of number eight who offers a threat, but definitely a different kind. But you know, now you now you've got in Elliott and Sally, you've got kind of two right wing wing profiles that you can kind of rotate, which is a headache for the opponents. Um, both can go out wide, and the other could come in um, and do so adequately as well, providing lots of threat. And that just takes the onus a little bit, doesn't it? Off. Of Trent to kind of make overlapping underlapping runs. He can still do them if needed, but I think he he can then naturally almost be at the at the base of, of this trio and be able to kind of be that playmaker that we know he can be. Um and if you kind of compare that to Tiago, you know, you wouldn't necessarily see Tiago last season swinging out to the far right-hand side to give Liverpool width you? it's just not naturally his game so that would normally have to be provided by either Trent overlapping or Salah going out wide and as I said just completely his profile completely changes that side and I think in a positive way as well Uh, I don't expect him to play every game I don't think he'd perhaps be suited every game playing in that position but certainly against Burnley on this occasion it was a it was a big positive Yeah I think
1: Probably what you what you're getting at there is it I think it was probably a lot more fluid, wasn't it? In terms of that trio operating as the trio, interchanging different positions, not really being limited, whatever position they end up in. You know, if Trent comes inside, it doesn't affect his game too much. If Harvey Elliott ends up on the wing, doesn't really affect his game too much. Whereas obviously if Tiago if that was the case with Thiago and Thiago wasn't to end up on the wing, maybe he's a little bit limited, maybe he's a bit more suited so to the centre. So yeah, I agree. I think it's it, it's really difficult dynamic for opponents to deal with considering those three players you know they all have massive threat on the ball so there's, there's kind of none of the three that you can really allow to just have possession none of the three that you can really feel safe when they've got the ball Um, so it's going to be a difficult one for Liverpool to manage uh, for, for opponents to manage um, I thought he was, was brilliant throughout Harvey Elliott and his numbers in particular look really, really interesting because we speak about what a player does on the ball and things like that. And in the game he he made ten progressive carries. Now a progressive carry is basic I'll get the definition up in a sec, but it's it's just basically a a carry forward towards the opposition goal without taking on a player. Um dynamic players usually do it. So Think Naby Kater, Kevin De Bruyne, you know those players who are willing to go forward with it. Basically, he showcased ten of them. Um, that was the most in the game, and he also showcased ten progressive passes as well, which was the joint most with Trent. So, you know, for, to, to be doing that on your debut, at Anfield, against a uh, quite a rough side, I think he got taken out early on by. Um, I can't remember who it was, um, Brown maybe. But it, you know, to be to be showing your level to that extent on the ball, you know, some players would be inclined to come in, wouldn't they? Even and just think, right, seven, seven six out of ten, just get me to do it. But he he seems to come in and just not shy away from the spotlight whatsoever.
0: Yeah, but you know, he's he's so confident now, isn't he? Let's be honest, if you. Um... He he just he doesn't feel like a normal eighteen year old prospect. You know he, he feels so 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 much more advanced. He he kind of he kind of feels like he's uh, maybe this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but you know maybe a tier below where Mason Mount is. You know Mason Mount 21, 22, still really young, but already like an integral part of that Chelsea side. Um I use him as an example because obviously the pool got Chelsea this weekend. Um but just he, he's so confident. I don't know, if maybe that's from that low move at Blackburn, which was, you know, a, a roaring success, really. If you look at his kind of contributions and saying the goals and all-around performances, um, low moves can be a little bit of a we'll hit and miss, but this this one went really well for him, playing in a really competitive league, a tough division, um, and, he was, and he excelled there. So... I think that's that's laid really good foundations to go out and think well you know i don't just need to perform to an adequate level with liverpool uh it's a really competitive side i probably don't want to be going out on loan again this year you now i'd rather stay in and be involved in the team who are going to be pushing for you know european honors premier league so i've got to prove me worth from the outset because it was on the bench saturday josh there was Pretty sure Thiago was there, wasn't he? There's there's other midfielders nine and waiting, so it's it's not easy. He knows opportunities on the right wing are going to be sparse because Salah's there, so I think he knows if he's if he's had not honest conversation with himself that he needs to he needs to go from a six or seven performance to eight or nine, um, and he's capable of it. And I thought on on the weekend it was an example of him doing so.
1: Yeah, you had Thiago on the bench, you had Casas Jones on the bench. You obviously had Oxley Chamberlain absent, who was, um, I think, his girlfriend or his wife or whatever was giving birth, and James Milner missed the game through injury. So you have a quite a stacked midfield, but I think Elliot has done more than enough in that game alone to kind of, without doubt, get in amongst it. Um, I think you you would have to question when to use him. I think you're right when you say that. Um, See, for example, like I was going to say then. For me, Elliot performed that role much better than Ox did in the first game against Norwich. But a big difference between those two games one is at home, one's away. So, when it comes to Elliot pe- playing away, maybe it'll be a bit tougher for the, for the kids to do that. You know, I'm not doubting his quality, I'm not doubting that he could do it. But I think when you're bringing a kid through like that, you, you just always want to, well, most of the time at least, provide them with favourable surrounds, really. And I think. I'm not sure how Klopp will do it. Moving throughout the season, obviously, he works with him every day. He knows him better than I do. But I would be inclined to think I'm going to play him in games where I know he can play well. and know he'll be able to perform. Um, in certain games, particularly away from home, maybe this weekend against Chelsea, could be a bit tough. I'd expect him maybe to come out, to be honest. But I think generally, he looks like a really good player. And I'm happy that you mentioned there as well because... When we mentioned, um, when we spoke about the, the recruitment over the summer, we did the recruitment podcast and we spoke about what this team maybe needs, what Klopp will maybe be looking for. What I said was, I think I said that Liverpool kind of lack that eight slash ten type player like a De Bruyne or a Mount or a Madison. And I flagged like Hussein at-, at Leon. I flagged Pedro Goncalves. Who's over in Portugal at the minute? But if you look at Elliot and the way Elliot's performed in that game specifically in pre season, Elliot kind of is that type. I think he is very, very mount, very, very in that mould in terms of not really being, almost feeling too attacking to be an eight, but not really delivering often enough in terms of goals and assists to be labelled as a forward. So he's kind of in between. I described him the other week on Twitter has a bit of a, a, bit of a Coutinho type, in terms of not being a midfielder, not being a forward, being something a little bit in between, and I think he's a really interesting player and a really useful squad option, considering he can play in the midfield and the attack. Mm,
0: I totally agree. I really do. Um, and I think there's, I think there's just such a bright future for him. I think how far away is he coming? Or not? Already, you think he'll finish the season? Don't you being a... it. I, I'm cautious. Use the team first, team regular, because I think it's still probably a little bit difficult to say for sure what the best start in the eleven is. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but um, you know, well, it's st- how many minutes do we do, do we expect for them, Maybe then, um, because I, I, it, it, if we're talking Premier League minutes, um, yeah, I'll be honest. i would be expecting between maybe twelve and fifteen hundred, something like that. I think that would be yeah, a so solid yeah. season.
1: Yeah, same. I think if, if you look at last season, just a few examples. Uh, yeah, so Mason Greenwood's probably a good comparison. I think yeah. when Mason Greenwood was 18, obviously United are in, in need of Greenwood a bit more than Liverpool are in need of Elliot. Greenwood got about 1,800, about 1,800 minutes last season. Eric um, Mitchell at Palace got about 1,700. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nacho, who came into the side late on, got about 1,500. And Emil smith Rowe, who again is quite young and came into the squad late on, got about 1,400. So I think if Elliot can have this first first breakthrough season at Liverpool where he gets around what you've just said, I would totally agree with that one. I think he could certainly become a major member of the squad and there could be a case of next season. You know, he, he... I'm not sure. It's it's a big one to see become a starter, isn't it? Because mm. especially when you think of who who would usually take up that right side of midfield, well, probably be Henderson because you've got Fabinho as a six, and Henderson never plays on the left. So it's a big role for him to have. Maybe you could have a a number ten spot if it was to play a four two three one shape and things moving forward. But mm. I do think that if, if he can get around fifteen hundred, I think that'll be a great season for him. And I think it would be um, good for this show, to be honest. <laughs> but I think <laughs> one thing I wanted to flag, he, he's been touted as Shakiris replacement, if you like. Um, and I think they are quite similar. They're both left-footed. They can both play roughly as a number eight slash right-sided forward type player. But a difference between Elliot and Shaqiri is... What do you do without the ball, I think? And I can capture that using the pressure numbers that we mentioned last week in reference to Naby Keita. Last week I flagged Naby Keita as having a, a decent start and he was the keenest presser for Liverpool against Norwich. So, over the weekend against Burnley, um, for pressures during the match, Harvey Elliott, top for Liverpool and quite comfortably Um, in the game, he... he he posted 27 pressures. Second was Jota on 16. Then Trent on 16. Keita on 14. Simakas on 14. So Javi Elliott posted 27. So I think he's got a very, very similar profile to Shaqiri overall. But I think he's just more in that liverpool clock way of when we lose the ball, I think he seems more inclined to, to work, basically.
0: mm yeah. Yeah, and it, you know it was a t- it, it was a test on that side as well because a large portion of Burnley's attacks were going down that left because of obviously got McNeil, haven't he? Um So it, to to kind of um, still perform so impressively without the ball, you know, pressing well um as he did, I think is important because it could have potentially be in an area of vulnerability if he didn't have that, you know, tool in his locker. Um, But he don't, you know, the numbers back it up. He was really aggressive without the ball. And um, it it just shows that he is this kind of Liverpool profile in so many different ways. You know, it's not just in in terms of in possession, it's out of possession as well. Sorry. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, there's just a lot to like about him, isn't he? And there's a reason why Jurgen Klopp speaks so highly of him. Uh, you know, with a smile, which is uh, even by his standards is quite rare. Um, but you know, rightfully so because he's just eighteen and he looks like he could have the highest of ceilings, really, in terms of what he could produce. Just as a total
1: sidestack, Dave, you just mentioned Dwight McNeil uh, I actually thought he he played really well, sp- specifically specifically in the first half. Uh, I, I was impressed with his directness and Liverpool's defense on that side. Really, quite struggled to cope with him really and. Obviously, Everton have been linked, um, and just on the back of watching the game, I, I could not that I couldn't anyway, but on the back of watching that game specifically, I could see why Rafa is looking at him for that Everton team.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I think McNeil'd be a good, well, a decent signing for Everton actually, because I think he'd be used. In a similar, not exact same, but in a similar manner to how he's used at Burnley, you know, being quite a, an old school kind of direct winger. Um, I think, although he's he's very one-footed, isn't he? Um, I think he does things that are very good, uh, uh, that kind of overcome that limitation. I think he uses his body really well. Uh, he turns on the spot really well and he gets himself out of tight positions with with dribbles that you wouldn't normally expect that, uh, such a one-footed player to to do because you kind of know what they're trying to achieve you know they're trying to get onto the left foot and swing crosses into the box but he always seems to be able to um cause defenders issues and um i think you know although he's pretty rigid in what he offers uh what he does do he's very good at it and yeah i do like him the only only thing is josh i don't know where you stand on this his output is not amazing and i can't gauge where where that ends at him and where that's as a result of maybe just playing for Burnley if you know
1: what I mean Um yeah yeah no I, I get what you're saying I think yeah. that's that's kind of like an age old question really isn't it how do you how do you conclude that question really I don't think I'd ever see him linked or moved move into Liverpool or anything like that I don't mm. think he's that type of player but in, in, in specific systems I suppose he would be a, a problem and I think if you look at specifically the way Everton have played in the first two games the Way of attacking things, he just looks really well suited, and I think his numbers would, would naturally receive a bit of a boost. Um, I don't think he'd be you know with ridiculous levels or anything like that because, at the end of the day, he's, he's in the traditional mode of a left footed left winger. Um, so I think at best he's probably having a season like remember the season that Ryan Fraser had a few years ago for Bournemouth, oh, yeah. probably yeah. something like that. Um,
0: inevitably, then linked with the likes of Everton on the back of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny how it works. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
1: Back to Liverpool, anyway. The, mm. Just on one final note on the Burnley game. I wanted to flag Jordan Henderson because I thought he was outstanding when he, specifically on the ball, but the way he came in after not really playing. Being the last player back to Liverpool from international duty from a long summer and things, um, and he was thrown in, and he was playing as the six, given that Fabinho was absent, um, and I just, just the way he played, I don't know, I've not really seen him play like that too often. He's naturally been a player who, kind of, puts his physical, and his intensity. On the game, lots of running, lots of screaming, um, harrying opponents in the face and all this, and that kind of thing. But in this game, maybe it was to do with the fact that he was a six and he was more of a holding presence. But I just felt he was, he had such authority about what he was doing, just kind of giving us this aura of, I've been doing this for years. It was, it was that kind of performance, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to flag him because I thought, I thought he was really, really good. And, Given that being of this physical team, I thought having Henderson as the holding player, just the way he was playing and things, and um, when, when he was on the ball, he was he was releasing it with, with his first touch at times, getting counters on the goal. He'd play long passes when the time was right. Just a re- a proper leader, I I think you know it's a bit of a cliche line when it comes to Henderson, but it was it was very much that type of
0: display really. Yeah, I get what you're saying. though. you're not. You're not just saying like leaders in like you know what he was saying on the pitch. You mean, leading the performance. You know, similar to although completely different styles of play, but similar to what Gerard used to do in terms of you know kind of be a leader through his play as opposed to maybe necessarily vocal. Although Henderson has that as well. But yeah, well, I, I, I was gonna say I think I think with
1: Gerard though, Gerard was like Henderson usual usually when it comes to. He would lead, but he would lead by just kind of running everywhere like a like a, you know, man possessed, basically. Hmm. But Henderson in this game I felt was like just quite like a a withdrawn presence who just kind of kept everything under control, if you know what I mean? A bit like Gerard as he as he got older, maybe.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think that this just ties back into the conversations we've had before with with Henderson where I think he's just developed into an elite midfielder. You know, whether it be as an eight or a six, I think he's just an elite midfielder. Uh, I don't think he—he he was. If I'm being brutally honest, it might sound a little harsh. I don't necessarily believe he was, uh, in say his early twenties, at this this tier midfield, and probably didn't ever look like he was going to develop into the player as I thought he'd always be like a top seven midfielder. Uh, but I'd say over the last, basically, he's kind of. At the same time, Liverpool have progressed into a a, a team that competes for uh, championships again. I think he has kind of gone with them rather than rather than falling behind. And as he's got old, he's just he's just got better and better. Now he is just a top top talent. Uh, I think his distribution is fantastic. Those really good on uh, on Saturday, and um, it was a, another really good performance, especially all things considered, with him kind of coming back into the side and. Um, it potentially being a tough game on paper uh, from a physical point of view, you know, being in that number six position. But, you know, um, he fully took advantage of of when he could get on the ball and and he kept Liverpool taking over.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, rolling back to his early years, that I, I probably saw, I think he was very similar in many ways to probably around like a Scott McTominay type now in terms of, Offering valuable qualities that you want, like he's clearly, clearly applies himself, very aggressive, very intense, good physical qualities, can cover lots of ground. Um, but I think just gradually he has become a, a, a different sort of player and to, to be able to just revert back from an eight to a six and offer a, as I said, a, a withdrawn kind of hold and presence, safety net type thing compared to his usual number eight. Performances where he's very intense, all over the park, lots of running. Um, it was just very, very, very complete, very assured, and I think it looked like, you know, whatever an experienced player looks like. This is what Henderson was, in my opinion. It was it was that kind of display where he it it just looked like he'd been doing it, it, just like he was going through the motions, cruise control. But despite that, to a very high level, um. So yeah, it's, it's good to see. Considering we've got a tricky upcoming match, Dave against Chelsea. Um,
0: been impressed with them so far. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, look, I've been like everyone else. I think I've been impressed with them since two chills come in. Um, and I was actually thinking about this earlier. I believe this is the toughest opponents in the Premier League at present. Um, including you know, including Leicester City. And that's not recently bias because because they've just you know they, sorry they got beat the week before by Tottenham it isn't. I just think it over the course of the last six months, um, Chelsea being a really really good side and a very difficult one to stop. Um, you know just the way two children playing, um, they, they do really great stuff in terms of somehow managing to <laughs> managing to have such a wide. Um, wide formation, you know, loads of depth through it, but then having the midfielders like the, the the central three and the midfield two playing so close together, and it just it well we saw the headache Arsenal had against them on Sunday, um, a really tough side to stop, and then when you throw in that you have just brought in a, a top uh, finisher, probably one one of the best in the game, I think there's a there's a lot of problems Chelsea can pose with Liverpool.
1: Yeah, I would agree with what you've just said there. I think I think Klopp would find it easier to formulate a plan to beat Manchester City than this Chelsea team. This Chelsea team has a lot. Um, loads of solutions, ridiculous squad. And since Tuchel came in, they have been a different animal in terms of the way in which they've applied themselves on the pitch, specifically without the ball, I think, has been just it's allowed them to just control everything, um. And if you look at their underlying numbers, it is again but two games in, but it it is incredibly impressive their their underlying numbers so far and since Tuchel came in, really. But based on the two games so far, um, Chelsea have faced the fewest shots; they've only faced ten. City have faced fifteen, for example. Liverpool have faced twenty-four. And in terms of the expected goals that they've faced, again, the best by some distance. There's over two games against Palace and Arsenal, they've only faced 0.6 xG. City, again, second best, 1.4 xG. So that's quite a jump between the best and the second best. Liverpool have faced 2.1 xG. And... Um, and Again, you know, going a little bit deeper in terms of expected goals per shot that you face, cities is uh Chelsea's is again the best. So, the average shot that Chelsea have faced has had about a six percent chance of finding the net. Liverpool's, the average one Liverpool has faced, has had about an 11 percent chance of finding the net. So,
0: Chelsea is just it's title numbers it is title numbers well, um, on that Josh sorry before we before we move, move on I actually had a look at uh, expected goals against since Tuchel come in and of all the games he played since the beginning of February only twice have they conceded expected the goals against of over one do you know Which, who that was against? I think one was um off the top of my head one was Premier League only? Uh, no, all competitions. So you can throw oh, the Champions League <laughs> final and that in FA Cup and that. You know, Champions League final against City and it was yeah. about 0. 0.7. Um, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure one was against Aston Villa. Um, and I think the other might have been, off the top of my head, could have been that crazy game against West Brom. Um, but even then, I'm not sure. And, I don't. We'll have to. I'll have a look into yeah, it. Josh. Probably,
1: it probably was if Tuchel, if Tuchel was in charge. That wasn't that like a mad. Yeah, fight? it was a far it was too. Like that. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, it it would been
0: that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's you know that's that's insane consistency, isn't it? Because you've basically played in that period. You've probably played every Premier League side or close enough. Um, you've also competed on the continent. You've played in Champions League finals and. You basically played every type of game and every kind of challenge, and actually every team struggle to to create high quality chances against you. Yeah, but the, uh,
1: the interesting thing is, in my opinion, they are coming up against the best attack in the league. Um, I think City have arguably got the best attack when it comes to facing um, the Minnows, basically. You know, the the Ross at the bottom of the league, basically. But when it comes to an attack that's suitable to facing anyone. I think Liverpool's is probably the best in the league. And if you look at shots so far this season, Liverpool are top for shots on 47. Chelsea, for a perspective, have taken 35. City have taken 35. Man United have taken 31. And then when it comes to expected goals, Liverpool are top of that as well. Um And expected goals of five so far, followed by City on 4.6. West Ham on four point five, Chelsea on three point eight. So it's the best defense in the league coming up against the best attack in the league. Probably, I think that's that's how you could paint it if you wanted. It's going to be interesting considering some of the matchups of the game and maybe what the impact of of Romelu Lukaku will
0: have. Did you see his uh, his debut to the day, Dave? Yeah, I did. He um, performed. Oh, yeah, he performed exactly how I expected. He was. Uh, Dominant, um, really benefiting from. Being I thought he really insisted. that like, he he described himself as dominant.
1: Yeah, that, that's I, I, a confident
0: yeah. man. now. it is. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to be that confident afterwards, but I don't know. It was just honesty, wasn't it? What else could he say in that situation? It was a such a commanding display. Um, you know, he he should have probably had two on the day. Leno pulled off a great save from the head in the second half, but he's just not only is he a dangerous prospect but he's just full of confidence as well and you know they're two really um dangerous kind of components to have to pull up with when you're an opponent um i just hope now though that this discussion of him being a is he any good type question <laughs> it's just put to bed yeah you, you know funny enough josh i i got I, I had this question asked like as he signed for Chelsea. And I thought what what more can he do? You know what I mean? He got he goes everywhere and everywhere and scores goals like that. That should be end of discussion. There, there's the facts. Then you throw in now, he's not just a goal scorer. I think he's technically a much better player than he's than he's ever been, which you'd expect to be in his prime years. And he's a, mate, he's he's a top, top striker. Probably from a pool perspective, Josh, could you think of a worse centre forward to be facing in Europe at the moment? No, that's a good point. Um,
1: And I think not only is he obviously improved as a player and kept up consistent scoring rates throughout his career, but if you look off the pitch as well, he seems to have really developed into a leader and a proper, you know, shoulder to, to to carry the team at times and and stuff like that. And you know, he speaks he speaks seven languages, and it's just he is an incredible person alongside his his obvious footballing qualities. Um, how how much has he improved since since Everton, for example? You know how good was he at Everton? Because you remember him being good, I remember, but you know people went uh, people winced a little bit maybe at the uh, the twenty seven million pound fee was it twenty nine million something like that.
0: Yeah, so it it's really difficult because I think when when you look back on that period, is well, isn't it? it's probably about six years ago now five six years ago. Um and you know, I'd like to think as each year's gone by in that period, you know, my probably same for you understanding of the game and the, the, the more intricate details has hopefully improved. But my memory from that period was he was a uh, he was capable of scoring goals, but um I don't believe the the work ethic is is what it is now. Um in terms of his off the ball off the ball contributions i think he like most strikers like to only go one way which was attack but the game's changed and even at that stage you know uh, an ability to press without the ball was really important uh, and to offer you t- well look we all know that with on the Liverpool podcast we, we know how important it is, you know for forwards to press from the front They're face first defenders i think he he lacked what, that kind of um contribution Uh, When he was at Everton, I think technically he, uh, he wasn't the best either. Um, You know, I'm not saying he was the worst. I think that kind of got inflated when he got to United that, you know, he couldn't trap a ball and all this. I I never think he was that bad, Uh, but I don't think he held it up uh, when it came into his feet as well. You know, I don't think he used his body as well as he is now. We saw so much of that on Sunday. So to answer your question, I think he's definitely developed. Um, I think his goal scoring is probably as good as it's ever been, um, Well, maybe a little bit better. But I just think his all around game, centre forward play, is has uh, gone up a notch or two uh, whilst he's been over in uh, in Milan. Yeah, I mean, I've just got up a completely, well, I suppose you can argue irrelevant
1: comparison here between two players that shouldn't, probably shouldn't be compared. But I've just, for Liverpool perspective, I've compared him to Mo Salah. Um, from now, dating back all the way to 2015. For perspective 2015, Salah was, Salah had just permanently joined Roma. Uh, so since then, um, and over that period, Salah's started, or we'll do appearances, Salah has appeared in 212 league games, and Lukaku's appeared in 213. Salah 125 goals, Lukaku 119 goals, so just two absolutely top performers there They were doing a lot for their own teams and the top. but going back to his recent debut, obviously, against Arsenal, I do think Arsenal was awful when it comes to um, nullifying them and generally presenting them with a platform to struggle. I think these, these, Pablo Mari was all over the place and the protection he was getting was terrible and it will be a different story at Liverpool.
0: Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
1: Obviously, we have to talk about the whole battle that is likely to materialise between Lukaku and Liverpool's centre halves. It's nice to have centre halves back. Um, I am inclined to think Lukaku will pin himself on Martin rather than Van Dijk, but it is quite mouthwatering, isn't it? Day when you think about a forward a centre striker that's, who's that complete with so few weaknesses coming up against arguably the best two centre back pairing, the best centre back pairing in the league um, and certainly for me the, the best centre back in the world
0: yeah yeah I mean you've just said it especially for neutral but I think even even fans on both both sides will be enjoying it it's it's tough to predict how that'll play out. I think if I had to guess now, I'd say it'd probably be a little bit of a, you know, a few a few victories each side, in, in what will be a, a really tasty battle. Um, you know, I don't know if there's any concerns about Van Dyke as this battle come quite uh, quite early on in his return. You know, because he hasn't he hasn't really been tested as of yet, has he? Since he's come back. I mean, no. Then again, I suppose he he would have been competing up against uh, Chris Wood on Saturday. But you know, we're talking about a completely different beast in Lukaku. And um, I think this time, twelve months ago, this would have been, you know, a a really kind of two two players at the top of the game. Twelve months on, we could be doing Van Dijk a massive disservice. But there's just a few unknowns with Van Dijk at the moment. Um, Not in terms of being a, a really good central defender, we know that, but just in terms of And we talked about it on the Norwich podcast, didn't we, Josh? That just in terms of like, you know, a top central defender, we know he's there, but Van Dyke's level's a little bit higher than that. And, you know, is he back up to that level? We'll we'll wait and see. But I do think it's going to be really interesting to see how, especially those first few kind of one one on ones, maybe not even necessarily, you know, Lukaku dribbling to Van Dyke. I don't mean that, just those first duels, you know, that first. Battling the air, you know, the first time comes into Lukaku's Le- Lukaku's feet with Van Dijk right up behind him. Mean, it'll just be interesting to see who comes away uh, victorious in those moments. Yeah, I mean, do you have met in the past?
1: That you met when um, when Lukaku was at Manchester United, and that was at Anfield, and it was, I think he was one battle at old Trafford as well. And generally looking at the clips attached to those games, Van Dijk was was coming out on top for me, um, but. I think it's reasonable to say that that was van dyke's peak and in terms of Lukaku, he kind of that was certainly not his peak he, he kind of gone on to be brilliant he was brilliant before that um and you, you mentioned there that you mentioned there that um could it be too soon after van dyke's injury and i must admit i think this this, this would be better to, to happen about two months down the line than right now this is probably going to allow us to gauge where Van Dijk is a bit more than the previous two games. But it has it has looked to me like he's been playing a little bit within himself. It, it stuck to me that he, he could be a bit more dominant if he wanted to, but he's opted against it a little bit and stayed in second gear, stayed around the the eight out of ten mark rather than pushing for, for tens. So it's it's it is going to be a really interesting battle to watch. Um and I think Liverpool generally ahead of those players we'll just deal with Chelsea a lot better. Um, last time Liverpool faced Chelsea, you know, Wijnaldum was the whole midfielder. Curtis Jones was in midfield. You had a centre-back pairing of Fabinho and Ozan Kabach. So Liverpool were just not suited to, to facing Chelsea at that time and Chelsea kind of played around Liverpool. And I think Timo Werner in particular was was a big problem for Liverpool. He got caught offside quite a few times, but I remember before the game, Thomas Suchel was asked. Um you know, he 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 was asked why why have you benched Olivier Giroud? And he said speed, speed, speed. <laughs> he said speed against the high line. So that's going to be the case once more, I'm assuming. The only difference being rather than exploiting speed against the likes of Kabach and Fabinho, you've now got to exploit that speed against Van Dijk and, and Matup, which is you know that those two those players should, in my opinion, be be better suited to cope with the uh, with the likes of Werner.
0: Mm, yeah, it'll uh, still a tough one though, isn't it? I think uh, these these are that these are the team that are really going to test that high line. Um, well, you know, with... but I think it's insistent I think it's that in the Arsenal game, Werner was benched.
1: He didn't come on until the longest minute. When Liverpool last faced Chelsea at Anfield, in the game before Chelsea faced Man United. Werner, again, was benched, played about 12 minutes in that game. So mm-hmm. this is the second time in a row that Tuchel's faced Liverpool and benched Werner the week before. Um, whether there's anything in that, I don't know. But I think it's interesting considering the amount of running and the amount of, you know, the, the danger in behind that he's responsible for providing. And how, you know, think thinking about Lukaku Le- and Werner as a duo and what that could do to disrupt them, a last line. It's going to be difficult to defend against Dave, I think to say the least.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's it. You know, he's a Werner for all his inefficiencies in terms of finishing, Um, which, you know, was only in one season. He's proven to be a good goal scorer in years gone by, so that might change this year. But, in in terms of his inefficiencies, there, you know, he is a really good forward to have. You know what, Josh, isn't he quite a Quite a certainly Chelsea version of Werner is quite a rare uh, forward in that his contribution isn't best measured in terms of his output, his his contribution is best measured in terms of what you actually watch him doing from a tactical standpoint for the side. And there's not many forwards who you you kind of do that with, Um, you know, other forwards will kind of have some sort of. uh, I I think a player who fits that
1: bill actually is. Probably Jeremy Dohu comes to mind. Um, His output is non-existent, really, when it comes to goals, assists, shots, key passes and
0: stuff like that. But if you watch him
1: play, he's quite obviously very difficult to defend against.
0: Mm, Yeah, yeah, he is a good example. Obviously, someone we talk about on here, haven't we? But um, yeah, that's that's the thing. And that's why I still think he's a... You know, people talk about him being a bit of a... A flop and things, but I think he's he's been far from it. and I still think he's a really important forward and one who definitely you know uh, against the right opponents is can be a crucial player. From a Chelsea point point of view, they'll probably look at him this week and think he gives them a good opportunity for some success. Uh, I mean, yeah, if you're the betting person, I'd probably bet on a, a fair few offsides in this game. Uh, but you know, if one or two of them come off, they could definitely test Liverpool uh, in terms of getting back in. You know, getting back in with the legs of Erna and 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 getting back into shape and hopefully cutting out uh, shooting opportunities. Yeah, I mean, this is Liverpool' show, so we don't want a big Chelsea up too much.
1: So, in terms of their weaknesses, Dave, you know, how can Liverpool get at this team? Well, you know, rather than being worried about certain aspects, how can Liverpool get at this team? Because I think if you look at them, say, for example their starting lineup against Arsenal, it's obviously very very good. But you you do look at certain individuals, and I think when it comes to Liverpool as a starting 11 and Chelsea as a starting 11, I think Liverpool starting 11 is stronger. I think Liverpool starting 11 is more complete. If you look at Chelsea, they've got players there that they now look quite imposing and they now look part of a really functional system. But they're still just players that have kind of just been knocking about for a few years, drifting almost. Like if you look at the keeper, Mendy. He's decent good player, no nothing against him, stuff like that, but he's not Allison's level. Christensen is only really becoming a Chelsea starter now after being at the club for most of his life, I think. Um Antonio Rudiger was was due to leave the club on Frank Lampard. Marcus Alonso started in that game, I'm not sure he will against Liverpool, but again, a player who was supposedly on a chopping on the chopping block. Um Asper you know, aging. Jorginho, not the most mobile. So, although I think these players playing to this level is testament to Tuchel's coaching, I think that from a Liverpool perspective, there is enough there to, to go at, it, isn't there? There's enough there to for for it to be quite an even fight at both ends.
0: Yeah, from look from an, a a one v one duel perspective, you know, a man for man perspective. You're definitely right. You look at Alonso. You think it, how great is Alonso? He's got he's got threat going forward defensively. He's been suspect under plenty different regimes, which is why he was due to leave. Um, obviously, he hasn't now. But even if Ch- Ch- Chilwell comes in, I like Chilwell, but there's a, there's a reason why Chilwell you know, is deemed surplus in the place of Alonso for certain fixtures. You know that tells you you need to know that. There's, uh, there could be a vulnerability there even if they do change and I do agree it's just I, I, if, if you're looking um, although we know that as a defensive unit they've been good but if you're looking at the side you probably are looking in those advanced wide areas where Liverpool is so strong and say they're potentially Chelsea's Achilles heel because um, you know Reese James I think has been found wanting at times. we just talked about Alonso. Um, you know, a back three does tend to have um more space out in those wide areas anyway, more opportunities for 2v1s. Now, I wouldn't say that Liverpool would, would go with Elliot again, but if you kind of picture that right side of um of Salah, Elliot, Trent in behind, and, you can, and then you look at who you'd be up against, uh, I think you could have a lot of joy there. It's just converting those kind of moments where you can come out on top into shooting opportunities and I think that's what other opponents have, have struggled to do. Um, but if someone's going to do it, I think it's Liverpool. And, but by, by no means am I saying, you know, Liverpool are massive underdogs here. We know they're not. Um, and I think the fact that it's at Anfield as well does com- is a massive leveller. Um, well, I'd say it was level on paper anyway. Maybe tipping the scales marginally in Liverpool's favour because it's at Anfield with a full house.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how, how Tuchel goes with this one, because I think if he was to go man for man at the back there, per Cuesa, Christensen and Rudiger against possibly Salah Giotta I think that's potential problems there, whereas I think at the opposite end of the pitch, if Liverpool was to go man for man with with Lukaku, who probably Mount and probably uh, Werner, who it's going to be, with, with say, Van Dijk, Fabinho and Massup or, or whatever or maybe as one of the fullbacks will talk in or whatever I think Liverpool just defensively I think if, put it this way I think if you used to make a combined 11 of these two teams I think of the back 5 you know the goalkeeper and the back 4 I think you've got mo- mostly Liverpool players really I think you've got the keeper I think you've got Andy Robertson for me I'd have Trent over James Van Dijk you have in there and then the final centre back spot, you know, you've got flip a coin between Mattop, Gomez, Kanate, Rudiger, Asper, but I think he's a more of a centre back and a back three. Cade Zuma. You know, I'm not sure what you do, but I think defensively Liverpool uh, i have got better individuals, is what I'm saying. So yeah, going into the game, it, it is very, very well matched. And I, I wouldn't rule out a draw yet. I think this is just two really good sides, two proper teams this and two very well coached teams as well, two proper coaches. So it's it's gonna be a high quality game. I I expect here. Um, so we'll do predictions, Dave. What, what are you going with?
0: I am actually going with the draw as well. I'm gonna go two two uh, because I think both both. I know we've we've talked about Chelsea's defense, but coming up against Liverpool's attack, and I think both teams have the capacity to to create chances and they have the players to finish them as well. Um, So yeah, I'm going to go two two and an entertaining game. This is a hard one to call. This,
1: Uh, honestly, both teams could win comfortably. Um, Could easily be a draw. So I'm I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit with this one. It feels too early to to accurately predict what this is probably going to be. So I'm going to go one all on this one. Wouldn't rule out two two either. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, this is one that I I am finding harder than normal. To, to get a pitch to me out of how this game might go. I feel like I know what Chelsea are going to try and do, in attack in particular. But other than that, a lot of the rest of the game is kind of open to, to guesswork, really. But hopefully Liverpool will get a win anyway. Um, Yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week anyway. So, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Yeah, and uh, we'll be back next week So hopefully... Review what will be a, a big title win for Liverpool uh, going into the rest of the season. So, yeah, be sure to tune in next week. See you then.
0: You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.